94.7 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. This is where we bring in Hawaii's leaders and experts to talk about the issues that you care about and uh, to answer your questions and to update us on the latest with the pandemic and COVID-19 response here in Hawaii. We've got the Lieutenant Governor Josh Green with his Aloha Friday update. Good morning, LG. Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad to be here with you. Good morning. Thank you for making the time. Uh, What is top of mind for you right now? Top of mind is to make sure that we really do a good job in the next first two weeks, which is one cycle of the COVID crisis, and then six weeks, to flatten the numbers down very low again, to minimize risk for all of our people, whether they're just positive or in the hospital or exposed. So here we are today. The numbers are coming down a little bit after the surge that we had from July 4th. Yesterday, we had uh, you know, a slightly smaller number. I think it was 19. So mm-hmm. you're seeing that it's very predictable, actually. When we're out and about and there's more social activity, the numbers have been spiking into the 20s and, and 30s. We had that one day at 42, which is terrible. And then when the, you know, when the exposure has drifted past the, you know, the incubation period, which the median of the incubation period is five days, and then between three and seven days, you get most people, and then a little further out for the outliers, then the number comes down. But we want that number to drop because lots of things. One, we're looking at schools, which we'll talk about. And we, we know that children can catch COVID and spread it. So that's a big question we'll talk about. And mm-hmm. then also another big concern I have is I know a lot of people think about like the day when people are out and spreading and so on. I usually think about some about 20 to 25 days later, because what happens is Five to seven days later, we get cases, and then two to three weeks later is when the, the, the uh, virus manifests in its worst way in the lungs for some people, and that's when people end up in the hospital in trouble with my other job, taking mm-hmm. care of people. So mm-hmm. uh, that's what we see. We have seen, very predictably, a surge in the cases, and it came down, and now we are seeing a surge in the hospitals, and that will come down. But we peaked over 30 people in the hospital, which is the first time I remember that happening. And I'm not going to lie to you, that, that does worry me. What percentage of um, ICU beds and, and so forth are we, are we at right now? We're at about 42% ICU beds statewide occupied. But very few of them, it tends to be like less than 5% of those ICU beds are actually COVID cases. And then we're at 12% of the ICU ventilators total. And I believe it was just like one person who had COVID was on a ventilator, which is very good because that's the most, obviously the most serious case that we have in the state at the time. So when you see these numbers, they're all, it's just amazing how they reflect one another. For every, in our state, for every 100 cases, we've had 10 people end up in the hospital. 100 cases that we confirmed, 10 have been in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And... That means that tells us that there's a lot more cases out there that we don't necessarily catch, but they're mild, mild cases. Uh, we can unpack that a little bit later. And for every, well, for, we've had about 1,300 cases total, and we've had 20 fatalities. So, again, it's pretty predictable. And that tells me when the number creeps up at 20 a day, 30 a day, once we hit another 100, I often expect an increment of more people in the hospital and sometimes on a ventilator. So... We watch this stuff 24-7 so that we don't miss a beat in case the mayors and the governor have to make a decision to 
ratchet something down or we have to make a more stern decision about policy. Like you saw, we delayed by one month the, uh, even the potential to travel here openly with a test. Just too much COVID on the mainland for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Williams asked us on Facebook, uh, are there therapeutic treatments that are happening for COVID patients now in Hawaii? There are. I'm, I'm so glad he asked that. Yes, we received uh, ample dosage for more than the cases that we have of remdesivir, which is the antiviral that has been decreasing the rate of hospitalization significantly. And it, and then there's another medication, which is just basically a heavy steroid and a, uh, a steroid that can be given intravenously. And that steroid has saved lives. It, it steroids decrease swelling or inflammation. And what's happening with COVID is the immune response basically jacks us up and creates a firestorm of inflammation in the body. And if it's in the lungs, you can imagine that inflammation or swelling in the lungs is very terrible. So we have the medicines. I don't want people to be afraid that just as we're here way out in the middle of the ocean, we don't have the meds. We have them all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you're telling us here is that um, the death rate slowing down for the U.S. has at least partly to do or largely to do perhaps with the development of these therapies. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's a combination of a ton of things. Mm-hmm. For sure, it's, it's the therapies. There's research going on that's quite advanced very quickly. There's um, a whole area of science that also talks about how you stop the immune reaction altogether with certain with certain medicines they are called ACE inhibitors. It's a class of medication that can do that. The details aren't that important today, but the challenge is, of course, first of all, we never figure out how to cure diseases in the first year. That never happens. And we're six months in. So it's kind of a um, an absurd task. It's impossible, really, to have reliable studies. It makes it makes it a big challenge. The good news is the steroid medication treatment has been around for like 70 years or something long. Mm-hmm. So we know how that works. Uh, so that decreases the mortality rate. Also, earlier detection and just the knowledge of how people kind of they're okay, okay, they get the disease, they're fine, and then they fall off the kind of the edge of a cliff, basically, after a couple of weeks when they have certain high-risk factors. For instance, we recently found out, you know, type A blood seems to have a connection to slightly higher risk as opposed to um, blood type 0 or O. So we learned that, and we're finding out some of these things on the fly, but that gives us a way, for instance, as physicians to quickly assess an individual what their risk is. We know people with uncontrolled diabetes have a higher risk. So if we race to get their diabetes further under control, when we find out they have a diagnosis of COVID-19, that can help. Also, just being able to uh, advance notice ourselves that if, if shortness of breath begins, we go into the hospital sooner and start getting on the regimen of drugs, that can be a lifesaver. If you wait until you know, oxygen saturations, uh, the breathing has already dropped off terribly, then sometimes it's too late. Like scar tissue is already forming. So there's lots that's being done. Uh, People who say it's just like the flu are um, wrong. The flu does do terrible things. Uh, The flu kills about one out of, I would say, 1,500 people. If you look at across across the data over all the years, Mm -hmm. I would say at the end of this pandemic, we will find that uh, COVID-19 kills about one out of 150 people. So the flu is 10 times more lethal, at least. And that is a, uh, first of all, that's pretty clear, everybody. COVID's 10 times more lethal than the flu. Mm-hmm. But also the problem is flu, you have a way to, you know, 
I know everyone hates getting a flu shot, but um, at least you have a chance to block even getting the flu. If you're a senior, if you have immune system compromise or whatever, COVID you don't. So mm-hmm. if we let COVID just roll through the whole world and say affect 2 billion people, you'd see numbers that would be reflective of like the, the pandemics of old, the 1918, you know, the European uh, flu pandemic that killed you know, Spanish flu, many, many millions of people, you would see, you know, you'd see those kind of numbers. And so I know it's a, it's a great philosophical debate. People are wondering why are they shutting down the government? Why are they shutting down the state? Well, it's very real. And I think actually the consequences would be much longer lasting if we let the disease roll through and devastate populations and linger in our society. So we do a great job with masks and treatments. Honestly, I think Fauci said it pretty clearly and same mm-hmm. with the head of CDC. If we did a very good job of social distancing and mask wearing for 30 to 60 days, you'd, you'd beat the virus down and it would end. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act and we're right there in the middle on the uh, tightrope wire right now. Got it. We're here with the Lieutenant Governor, uh, Josh Green, his weekly address with us here yes, to absolutely. tell us about the COVID-19 thing. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, do you see anything on the horizon with regards to helping people with rent, with helping people with uh, unemployment? Because we know that people are running out of benefits. So I do. I, I'm Actually, that's great that you asked. So there's a lot of rent programs that are coming online. Each county has different capacity, and then the state has capacity. So... The state, leg- uh, my old colleagues, friends, and so on, the legislators, they came up with a plan. So they will offer up to $500 a month for people that are housing unstable. And so that appropriation is going to be timed and should hopefully be helpful when the, some of the federal unemployment dollars drop off. That's one thing. Then you've got, uh, for instance, in the county of uh, Hawaii, Big Island, where there's actually higher rates of poverty than anywhere else except for Molokai. On Big Island, they they will be able to offer up to two thousand uh, dollars for any family who has lost eighty percent or more of their wages, I believe, and who is um, under eighty percent of the federal poverty level. And so, th- for that, they sh- people should contact Hope Services. That's uh, Brandy Menino who runs that program, mm-hmm. and they'll be able to help people with a one-time payment of up to two thousand dollars for directly to rent. So each of the counties will be doing something like that. Mm-hmm. So what they should do is they should uh, look at the Department of Health website. Hopefully we'll have updates there on that. And then each of the county websites, there are programs. They each have a housing division because we probably have 30 or 40,000 families that are going to be housing unstable or tipping near the edge. Mm-hmm. And we just don't want to see any surge in homelessness at all, of course, ever. So there will be monies. And the, there's a bigger question. The, the, uh, the U.S. Senate and U.S. House go back into session uh, this coming week, Monday, and there's a large push to make sure just kind of Main Street Americans get some extra help since government is shutting things down. It's no fault of the people. We're trying to keep people alive, but there hopes to be another CARES Act uh, allotment of money, and they're going to debate that. That is something, obviously, that's out of my personal control, but I'll be advocating for it just if people want to know where I stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have some extension of some of the extra unemployment dollars and and or support for things like housing and food. That's that's very, very important because I, it looks to me like the COVID uh, pandemic 
is going to continue for at least well into the fall. And it hopefully will start coming down. We'll talk about probably the vaccination soon in our talk here, but it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. So if much of the economy remains in limbo, we're going to need that help. You saw some good news. It's hard to describe it as good news, but we went from 22% unemployment down to closer to 12% by opening the Kamaina economy. Mm-hmm. Now, we were hovering at 2.3 or 2.5% before the, before the uh, pandemic broke out. But that is an improvement. About 10% or, you know, of our people or half of all those who want to work were able to get back into their jobs. Still a lot of unemployment, obviously mostly in tourism. And tourism is going to come back slowly, even, even if even if we have a fully safe and ironclad way, which is a challenge to let people come in here without COVID, with the pre-test, with screening and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. We polled people and checked and a lot of people are just not going to travel for a long time. So that's just, you know, that's good. That's human nature. They should do what they feel safe about. I don't want anyone traveling here if they're not healthy. So it's going to be slow to get that back. But the appropriation and the funding will go there. I know the legislature is really very focused on helping people that are economically most, you know, most destitute. And that just means a lot of regular people that had jobs are paying 30 or 40 grand a year. And now that's gone and they just can't pay rent. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That's going to be necessary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Related to that, I wanted to ask you also about the struggle of local businesses. And a lot of businesses were saying they cannot pay rent uh, to their landlords. They're expecting that many businesses, perhaps thousands, will be failing over the next couple of months. Related to that, also mortgages, private mortgages as well for homeowners. Will there be a continuation of a, you know, you know, some kind of directive from the governor regarding giving people who have mortgages some kind of relief or reprieve? Yeah, that's that's critical. And so uh, later today, there will be some updated information, which everyone will be able to unpack from the attorney general. It's it's the. Uh, the 10th iteration of the emergency proclamation called the EP. And it, and it spells out another extension of at least a month on uh, closing people out or, or forcing people out of their homes. But I think we're going to have to continuously extend that uh, because they're just obviously extenuating factors. And that means if we have to ultimately support not just renters, but also homeowners and also uh, business owners, and then even, even God forbid, I know people don't like to, here supporting large industry or businesses, but we should support the banks too. If they can't get the mortgage payments from people, we don't want banks to ever suffer because we want them to be stable. They want to be good, I think, partners in the recovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's why you need significant levels of federal aid for crises like this. Because if they start collapsing, then we can't even get people safe forbearance on their mortgage or whatever. So. This is a mega lift statewide, countywide, and countrywide. You can't just let one piece fall away without taking care of the others. It, it just wouldn't work. 94.7 Kumu Kokua. Because Kumu cares. It's Devin. And yeah, me. And also Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Lieutenant Governor, I wanted to ask you now about the reopening of the public schools. Now, that is scheduled for August 4th. And uh, the superintendent, Christina Kishimoto, recently uh, you know, forwarded the Department of Education's plan. Do you feel good about schools opening August 4th? And, and do, you, do you think there are more things that need to be done before the schools open? 
Well, not a lot makes me feel good about COVID-19 at all on any level. Mm. But um, life does have to go on for many people. Uh, and children in school is so central to their being. There has to be education. You can't remove kids, number one, from their education and have them be good citizens. And two, that's how they learn to socialize and become actually members of society. So there has to be school. You can't can't shut down for a year or then two years and, and three years if god forbid this thing lingered so that something has to give uh do i feel good about it no i don't i i think that there is no purely safe answer and that's what uh, dr kishimoto is is wrestling with every day and night the um the options she gave were very kind because it lets families decide what their level of concern and risk uh, has to be and they can meet that without any penalty i think that they did make the right decision to insist on six feet, ultimately. I think that was important. Remember, we're not just talking about the health of our children, we're talking about the health of our educators, too. And, you know, a a teacher who might be 63 years old would be at higher risk. The reality is she's doing her best. I would say this, people have to follow their heart. If you don't feel comfortable sending your children back to school, that's okay. And if we're gonna talk about best practices, I'll stick with what I feel, which is that uh, groups of 10 or more begin to pose a much larger risk. And so we want schools to do their very best to approximate that small gathering, a bubble, mm-hmm. if you will. And it will be challenging. That means, obviously, that school, school schedules will have to be staggered. They will have to um, make major accommodations. And some of it will just not be possible. Uh, there's good news, remember, that children have been very minimally affected by COVID-19. If kids were dying of COVID-19, I can tell you absolutely without question, there would be no school opening, period. So really, we're talking about how it will affect uh, spread and their families when they go home from school. Mm. I would also expect that uh, if if some schools see small outbreaks, they will immediately go into a pause for 14 or for 28 days, one or two cycles. I won't be surprised at all by that. So just everyone remember, this is going to be a very rocky year, unlike anything we've seen before. And uh, don't don't despair. Just remember that we all sacrifice together and we'll get through it together. Even if it means the school year is wacky or that we have to go on extra unemployment or we have to accept some help that we never accepted before. Some of us are, you know, some people are accepting health uh, support at our free clinic. Some people are accepting food support and they never thought they'd be in a food line before. Mm. But there's no shame in that. It's just you might be in an industry that, from an unlucky standpoint, just could not be open. And so, you know, have pride that you're a part of the greater solution. That's okay. All. Thank you very much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here. All right. So, uh, Lieutenant Governor, you've had your coffee now. Um, and I'm, I'm going to read you a quote. Uh, and comes. Please, please, please remember, we're on the radio live. <laughs> Yeah, but, but there's no kids listening at this hour. We're good. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's listening right now. But he's, he's giving you the warning, Lieutenant Governor, because uh, this particular quote that he so, wants to read to you is something. Yeah, this from uh, came, of course, and I'm sure you've seen it, but uh, White House Secretary, uh, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McKinney, uh, yesterday, uh, she said the president has unmistakably said unmistakably said that he wants schools to open. When he says open, he means open in full, kids being able to attend each and every day at their school. The science should not stand in the way of this. In that case, let's have the president go and volunteer at schools as a teacher's aide. We could use all the help. 
And he can go there and be there eight hours a day without his mask because he doesn't like wearing a mask. And he can go and ignore science all he wants. <laughs> that That is a stupid, you know what, kind of comment. And it's just not, it's just unfair. It's elitist. He doesn't, since he doesn't have to deal with the regular economic you know, realities that teachers and everyone else does, he says these things. But, you know, that's all political junk. I think that we will follow science. We must follow science. Well, and, and that's one of the weird disconnects that we're seeing, too. You know, I mean, uh, we've been hearing a lot this week about uh, Dr. Fauci. So what is happening? <laughs> well, Fauci can't be fired technically because he's a civil servant and he's a physician and he's got an incredible amount of seniority. So Fauci's trying to tell it like it is, doing his best. And, and it's an imperfect situation, too, because, you know, Five months ago, in the first 30 days of this, the recommendations are very different. And so now the Trump, Trump guys are trying to throw their own guy under the bus um, because it's political. Unfortunately, the election's just around the corner. And if, if COVID and its response is not going well, the president is going to lose re-election, mm-hmm. especially when he says things that are endangering kids. I, you know, look, I got a lot of friends that are conservative, a lot of friends are Republicans, and of course a lot of friends that are moderates or liberals and Democrats. They all, all of them agree on one thing. Take care of our kids. Don't put them at risk. Every one of them. And do the right thing for our children. So when you have that kind of stuff and Fauci saying one thing, you do it right, and the president's undermining the science, that's going to create a hellstorm. So uh, I think that's coming. Um, but Everyone, just first of all, follow what you believe is most important when you're making the choice for your kids. If the school is not doing what you feel you need for the safety of your cakey, then do it from home. Pause and, and educate from home for some time. And it's a very unique situation. And I don't want anyone who's listening to feel that they are forced to do anything that they are not comfortable with. That's probably the most important takeaway. Okay. Got it. Um, Lieutenant Governor, shifting a little bit to talk about the quarantine system, because one of the challenges has been keeping track of people when they quarantine here. Yeah, so let's go for where we are. The current quarantine system stinks. It's, um, <laughs> it's legal, but it doesn't work, right? And then uh, there's just not enough uh, police presence in the world to, to go and catch people. And you can't tell, you know, so we do believe in civil rights here. So what happens is it just doesn't work. Now, what I propose and others have proposed, and I have fairly good news, it appears that it is legal, is that um, we establish a series of quarantine hotels that will be on a list that people will know. If they have uh, traveled to Hawaii, and of course they're still facing the 14-day quarantine at least until September 1st, right? Mm-hmm. That's where they're going. And we will have a law enforcement capabilities at those hotels so that we know people aren't going out and we'll actually be able to police them. So they're putting together a plan for that. And the same thing would apply. And I know people have been nervous. I'm not pushing this, but you know what I said, get a test before you come to Hawaii and we decrease the risk by 70%. That's true. Okay. Mm -hmm. But anyone who still refuses to get tested because it's unfortunately not legal for us to force people to get a test, even in a pandemic, we will say, thank you very much. Here's the hotel you're allowed to go to. That's it. I think that that's how you ultimately, you know, kind of have the balancing act work. So we've asked the attorney general to help us with that and the, and the um, 
hospitality folks and the hotels have been really, really great in, in trying to be partners. So all these things are meant to make it safer. And that is really, that's why a, a few steps, three or four major changes in addition to wearing masks and social distancing, mm-hmm. so talking about the pre-test and the hotel quarantine system, that and then finally the digital platform that the mayor's insisted on. Let me give uh, kudos to Mayor Kim in this case. And of course, uh, Mayor Caldwell and Kawakami and Victorino, they were right there at his back. Real smart. They, they insisted on pressing us for a digital platform so they could actually get the data for real about who came in and was supposed to be in quarantine. That will help, too. Mm. We are talking about the possibility of a a quarantine hotel kind of a system. Do we have dates, like when that might be approved and when that might go into effect, and will that be all islands? Uh, The answers are yes on many. The the truth is probably September 1st, I think. That's, um, That's when any numbers could start going up. If What I've asked the team to do is to uh, prepare to start beta testing some of this stuff so we don't screw it up. And mm-hmm. to do that two weeks in advance, there's a method to the madness. There, you know, there of course, is some discussion, lots of discussion, actually, about uh, getting, uh, getting it all together for when kids come back from college. There's a very comprehensive plan to have them test beforehand, to quarantine, and then test again. These are things that make a lot of sense, um, but all of them require extra levels of, of sophisticated security. So the digital platform, they want it already up now, so they're finalizing that. Then you add partners that can do the quarantine hoteling. Uh, and mind you, these aren't people that are going to be positive. They're just people that refuse to get tested mm-hmm. um, or who... So. It's not like a hotel for sick people. It's a hotel for people that refuse to get cleared with testing and and go through our protocols. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, it'll still be safe and clean. They're just they were just stupid and decided to spend two weeks in paradise during a pandemic before getting cleared. That's not a good idea. Uh, Caramel is asking us uh, regarding the contact tracing and cor- uh, contact tracing system. Uh, you talked to us a little bit about that on Friday. What is the status of that? Are you feeling better about it? Um, well, it's given me an ulcer, I think, because <laughs> it's like this. You can't have enough. And I know that the Department of Health has said in their hearings, God bless them because they're working so hard. I mean, they're all going to freak out by the end of this, I'm sure. But the, uh, the truth is they're doing a good job tracing what they can. But from a factual standpoint, whatever the Department of Health believes, they need more help and need more support. They have the resources. They received a $50 million grant from the federal government. I talked to Dr. Redfield, who's the head of the uh, CDC, who absolutely supports doing whatever testing and tracing we need to do to keep ourselves safe. They should ramp up to 500 people. They're going to keep telling you they got enough. Well, mark their words then, because I think you can't have enough in this particular year, this, this particular year with the pandemic and the crisis, because there are so many people that we just still don't we still don't capture when we do testing there's so many mm-hmm. um, and and you're, and you're saying 500 people, you're saying 500 but they are at, at where what number are they at 179 and some of them are part-time and they're ramping it up a little bit mm-hmm. um, but they've trained people which is great they need to put this over in the pandemic response division and let those guys handle it and report occasionally to dr park and dr anderson because this is a grinded out day by day 
seven-day-a-week, not five-day-a-week operation, seven-day-a-week operation. And they have to do that all the way to the end of the pandemic because every time we do that, we can chop down the numbers of other cases. I know that it's a lot of work, and I, and I think that the Department of Health takes it the wrong way when I say this, but it's just too much for any one agency to take all these things on. They need extra help, and they should accept it. Do you have any thoughts further about, you know, about vaccines? Uh, how soon are we realistically going to see that? And really, how realistic is it that people are going to, I don't know if masking is going to, if people are going to get better about it. What do we need to do? Lots of stuff. So they're right. What, um, what Dr. Redfield said was four to eight weeks, just so you know. So between four and eight weeks, if we mask completely, religiously, all in, we would see the, the virus drop down to almost nothing. So look, that's the cheapo way, and it's great, and it saves lives. Then the vaccination. Vaccinations normally take 18 months to three or four years. So it's being raced forward. The good news is, is that Moderna, which is a, a company that does this stuff, this kind of research in partnership with a bunch of other you know, pharmaceutical companies, I guess, they are now in phase three trials. They're heading into phase three trials right now with 30,000 people. They have a vaccine that has demonstrated antibodies that seem to be sustained. That means immunity. And they're pretty confident about it. It gave people about one day of side effects like the flu, basic mild COVID symptoms. It's not a live virus, so it's not a risk of catching COVID. That, of course, will be a wave of people's um, um, urban legend concerns. You won't be able to catch it. It's going to be particles from the it's like proteins that the body is able to respond to with its immune response, and that's mm. how you get immune. So you can't catch it from this virus. I'm sorry, from this vaccination. You cannot catch it. Let me say it. It's a vaccination, not a virus. Got it. And so that's, that's now going to be in trial with 30,000 people, and in about three months we'll have results from that. So by the end of the year, if this one works, we'll have a vaccination. I hope that, you know, I hope that this happens because – See, Hawaii, we're not getting a whole lot of immunity. Our success of keeping the virus at bay and away from here means that we have very, very little, if any, uh, immunity. We certainly have no herd immunity. So we're going to get we're going to get crushed if ultimately an outbreak occurs and we lose track of it. Mm. Again, back to the tracing. Mm-hmm. The tracing is meant to keep keep the lid on. Vaccinations and masks are meant to prevent it from actually happening. But human nature, right? You miss your loved ones. You go out. Somebody sneezes accidentally. You're not wearing your mask. All that stuff happens. You go to a funeral service and you hug people because you're not going to not hug people at a funeral. And then you see 17 cases like we saw. Yeah. You know, so these are things that happen. So we have to do all of these things. We have to do all of them well. And let me just, before we wrap, say thank you, Hawaii, because you guys have done things very, very well as compared to Tennessee and Arizona, California, Texas, New York. You have done better than anyone and everyone is suffering the same economic challenges as we are. So that was going to happen no matter what. But you guys have kept people alive. You've protected our kupuna. You have protected our keiki. And now we want to reward your sacrifice by doing the right stuff. And that's why all these other plans are being put into place to also keep us safe best best we possibly can. But keep writing in. Keep expressing whether you're supportive of something or you're enraged about something because just the other day someone gave me a great idea at a, a talk story in Pahala. I went to Ka'u where they had an outbreak. And the guy told me, gave me an idea about how we should not allow for any uh, rentals 
of certain vehicles to certain groups of people, and it's going to be smart and probably put into the plan. So, I mean, mm. you guys are you guys are leading your thought leaders in your own uh, space for sure, and yeah. I appreciate it. Okay. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here for Kumu Kokoa on this Aloha Friday, 830. Thank you so much, Lieutenant Governor, for stopping by. You guys are doing great. Just Thank keep, you. Keep, keep safe, all right? All right. Will do. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so sir. much. Once again, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joining us here on the Rise and Drive as he does every Friday for Kumu Kokoa. It's Devin and Esme on the Rise and Drive on 94.7 Kumu.